This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Hi there, it's Caroline. I want to ask you a quick favor. If you've been listening to this show and it's been helpful to you, it would mean the world if you left a writing or a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show and it helps us when we're trying to book new guests. We've made you a quick and easy link, which is secretlibrarypodcast.com slash review that will take you right to iTunes where you can leave a quick review and get on with your day. I promise it'll take less than five minutes. Thank you so much. And let's get on with the show. This is episode 81. My guest this week is Malu Hilasa, who is a Jordanian Filipina American writer and editor based in London. Born in Oklahoma, she was raised in Ohio and is a graduate of Barnard College, Columbia University. Her books include Syria Speaks, Art and Culture from the Frontline, Transit Tehran, Young Iran and Its Inspirations, The Secret Life of Syrian Lingerie, Intimacy and Design, Kaveh Golston, Recording the Truth in Iran, Transit Beirut, New Writing and Images, and Creating Spaces of Freedom, Culture and Defiance. We're discussing Mother of All Pigs, which is her first novel out this year. And I love talking to Malou, not only because of her incredibly varied cultural history, but also about American writing and American fiction and what it means to be a part of a canon or included in a category or where books are shelved and how we decide which stories get told. This is a topic that's really, really important to me, and I was delighted to have Malou on to talk about both the tension between fiction and nonfiction, what made her want to write a novel, and many, many other topics. So I know you're going to love this episode. Here we go with Malou. Hey, Malou, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Caroline. So I have to say, I'm sure people bring this up to you, but anyone who's looked, you have the most incredible geographical background, I think... I have ever encountered. It's kind of extraordinary. Do you mind giving us just a little snapshot of how you started in Oklahoma and then ended up being based in London? That's, I mean, it's inspiring to me, honestly. So I'm, I'm a little curious. And then I know that a little bit of your background plays into the book, but if we could start there and then expand. Sure. I was born in uh, Norman, Oklahoma. I come from a a big immigrant uh, American family. My father's Jordanian, my mother's Filipino. They met at the University of Oklahoma. I grew up mainly in Ohio since uh, third grade on. And then after I graduated from high school, Revere High School in uh, 1974, I moved to New York where I went to university and I started working for New York magazines there. And then it was like 81, uh, 80, 81, I moved to Britain. I had been working at Rolling Stone. I had gone in as an intern. They had hired me. And then uh, I thought, well, if I really wanted to write, there was a chance for me to go to Britain and to write instead of working in a magazine office as an editorial assistant. So I took that choice and went to the UK, where I was a music journalist for quite a while. And then in the late 1980s, I really started writing more widely about arts and politics. And then by the 1990s, I decided that I would write solely about the Middle East. And that's when I really started my big, I would say, nonfiction work. 
And I was also working for a uh, cultural fund, the Prince Klaus Fund in the Netherlands. I was their editor. I started, I, I was editing their journals. And then it must have been in the early 2000s that they decided that they wanted to uh, create an imprint, the Prince Klaus Fund Library. And I had like a, um, a budget of 300,000 euros a year. And uh, we were supporting all kinds of books in the areas of the world that the Prince Klaus Fund was interested in, China, Indonesia, Latin America, the Middle East. And I found myself lost in one of their books. Um, it was a 900-page, it was a, a marvelous book. It's called Beautiful Ugly. But I realized that I was doing the work of the editor and the, the main editor for that book. And I thought, well, you know, really, I need to do the books I want to do on the Middle East. Because up until that time, very few people were looking at the arts and culture of the Middle East. All the writing about the Middle East was really political. And um, that's when I started to do the books that I've done uh, from Iran, uh, Lebanon, and, and more recently from Syria, looking at uh, uprising arts and culture and, and new writing. And it was in 2010 that I really started, I went back to the novel again. I think I was inspired by the work I was seeing from Syria. And also I felt that you know, I've been doing these books that are platforms for new work from the region, but I was wondering about, you know, the story that I wanted to tell from the region. From my family background, that's one of the prisms that I look at the region through, but also from the background of being a journalist and, and, and doing all this work in editing from there. Amazing. It's, it's fascinating to see that you've done you know, a number of nonfiction books on the region and then turn to the novel. So I was curious about the difference of what you feel you can communicate about the culture and experience of the Middle East in both of those, um, in both of those formats. And how is it different for you? Well, I think for the nonfiction, uh, those nonfiction titles are really, those books were a platform for new work from there. And it was people, people there were telling me really the kind of work that they were doing and what they wanted in those books. Definitely my experience as an editor, I could take, uh, stories from unestablished writers and, you know, put them in a form that would make them, how can I put it? One of the things that I tried to do with the nonfiction books was to create a very modern platform, a very contemporary platform, so that when people were reading this material, they weren't thinking of oriental rugs. They were really <laughs> contemporary release. I mean, that was really important for me to do. But the reason I wanted to tell a family story was that I was curious about the way that readers would interact with the region if it came through fiction. Like, what is it about... I kind of felt with a nonfiction, you present this material and people consume it. But with a story, a fictional story, I think that the reader's interaction with the text is different. And, and, and that's what I'm trying out, I think, with my debut novel, is that do they really get something different about the Middle East because I'm telling a family story? And I'm going into these internal monologues of the characters, whether the characters are human or animal in the story. Yeah, there are so many different perspectives going in the book. And I, I wondered about that too, because I also wonder if you're reaching a different reader when you're writing a novel versus a nonfiction book. Because I think the person who's going to read a nonfiction book is often different than somebody who will pick up a novel. That's what I think too. But I think that in the West, People are really used to looking at the region through politics. That's what they're really into. 
and that to try to show them art or new writing or criticism, film criticism, it, uh, it kind of throws them off. And then they go to the material and then they're, 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 they're captured by it, I think. That they don't expect such modern voices to come from the region, such contemporary voices. And, um, remarkable work. I mean, Sirius Speaks, Art and Culture from the Frontline, because of the book that we did, uh, the British Museum started a new archive of Syrian uprising art. So those books do have power and they do bring institutions, I mean, after one book uh, that I had done with Maziar Bahari, it's called Transit Tehran, Young Iran and Its Influ- uh, Inspirations. And Maziar uh, was a Newsweek reporter that had been uh, held in solitary confinement in Iran for 118 days during the 2009 disputed presidential elections. But I was told that that book in particular, we opened that book with a photo essay of a transsexual in Iran. And we had articles about, for example, um, police women, women being trained for the police, but also uh, women being trained for the clergy in Iran. And I was told that that book changed perceptions of Iran in the BBC. So those nonfiction books, they do have their readers and they do have influence. But I was wondering more about telling a story. And in the story, there are many layers of meaning in terms of whether we're talking about this like rich history of the Middle East, or about this history of women's activism that's always been in my family. But we don't think about Middle Eastern women being politically engaged. You know, we just think about the hijab or the niqab now. And I wanted to sort of go beyond those reductive images that we have in the West about the Middle East and tell a fuller, uh, a fuller story to see if people will respond in, on a different way, um, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think that was something that, well, there's, there were a number of things that struck me about the book, but one of them in particular is a perpetual reaction I have whenever I read what limited fiction we have that addresses the Middle East is is just how limited I have been exposed to the history of the region in the education that I got in the U.S. And I I think whenever I'm like, how do I not know about these things? How is this how is this never presented to us? And I'm struck by these huge blind spots in my knowledge of the area whenever I'm confronted with a story like the book that you wrote. It's very interesting to me. You know, I've been, like I said, I I really started thinking in the 1990s that I would write only about the Middle East. So my own work at that time was really focused on the Middle East, various stories, mainly in, in, in Beirut and in Damascus and Aleppo, uh, you know, Jordan was a place, that's where my family was from, so I would go visit them. Uh, You know, over the years, I guess, I have really gleaned this this in-depth knowledge, but I myself don't think of it as in-depth. I think of it as part of my personal history of reporting and and spending a lot of time there and talking to people there. I mean, I guess it really was my book, The Secret Life of Syrian Lingerie, Intimacy, and Design. I spent a lot of time with my co-editor, Rana Salam, in the factories in Damascus, they had never met women like us. It was obvious. 
they love speaking to us. And when we were done, you know, doing the interviews for the actual work that we were doing, they said, no, 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 stay. We have to talk about porn on the internet. And I want to tell you about prostitution in Damascus. Like they, it was suddenly, and that's what I felt is like being there on the ground. Uh, people's lives really opened up to me. So I, I, I came away with an, uh, I think a unique kind of knowledge about from my personal writing experience, but also in all the research that I've done. And I've been quite surprised that people don't have a wider understanding of the Middle East. I mean, we live at a time when, you know, it's information technology. You can find everything you want on the internet. And yet we approach the region, or, or people in the West really approach the region in very narrow terms. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are interested in Mother of All Pigs is because they rarely hear a, a family saga from the region. They rarely encounter, I, you know, I know many young women who are politically active, uh, who are Middle Eastern, a wide range across all religions. And yet people don't think that's the norm or they have no idea of the rich like history of mosaics, for example, or Byzantine capitals that were there in the region that earthquakes destroyed or the way that forced migration has always been part of the history of that region whether we're talking about Palestine in 1948 or at the turn of the last century when some of my relatives left Jordan and they settled in Chile where there's a huge migration of Middle Easterners to Latin America you know and it almost seems like all of that's been wiped out because of this history of war and violence. So, yes, people don't really know of it, but I don't know why they don't know of it. And I sort of felt that the story I wanted to tell, I wanted to have all those different elements that I know and that I'm comfortable with and that I think of when I think of the Middle East. The thing... I Yeah, I don't know why either. I mean, I think of how many years we wasted just redoing American history. It's like, okay, okay, we could have been learning so much else. And one of the sort of metaphors, I think, for this experience that I loved from the book was that the house at one point, I think they talk about the house that the family lives in as being sort of an ideal fortress in a way that has mm. this courtyard. And to an extent in reading the book and learning about all the people inside, I felt like I was gaining access to something that hadn't really been opened up to me as a reader in the same way in other contexts. And I, another, it sort of was, there were all of these elements of, of secrecy and all of the characters are keeping secrets from each other and from yes. other members. And I loved that image because in some ways it feels like, it isn't really a secret, but but we have these conceptions of what the Middle East is like and what people from that area are like. And here are all of this wide range of examples in which those stereotypes are completely wrong. But, you know, I think in terms of the secrets, I think that all families keep secrets. And one of the things that in writing a family saga is that, yes, I was writing about a Jordanian family in an unspecified town in Jordan, that this family has lost a lot of its children to immigration to America. Yes, I was writing that sort of story, but I think that there are elements of that family that it could be in an Italian family, that it could mm -hmm. be a family, that I think that there's, there's a kind of universality when it comes to family culture that... 
People hide things in families. They don't admit things in families. And this particular family that I'm writing about or telling the story about, they would not be admitting these secrets to each other. No. Or the strangers that come through the town, whether we're talking about the, the American niece who's never been to the old country, or we're talking about one of uh, Hussein Sabas's who has a military past, one of his soldiers show up who's come, who's, who snuck back into the country from Af- Afghanistan and who's come because he went there looking for his brother or even the pig. The pig who smuggled, who, who smuggled across borders and kind of shows up in this town and shows up into this family's life and changes the fortunes of this family. And yet the pig is also a, um, a chaotic stranger. So it, family culture is similar, whether we're talking about American family culture or Arab family culture. Families don't really give up their secrets easily until something happens and then they have to have transparency. They, they have to say what's going on. And, and also in saying it and admitting to it and admitting this sort of burden of memory that everyone operates under in the story, they can move on too. And that's an important thing for them to do, particularly with all the pressures of war nearby, dictatorship nearby, radicalization on their doorstep. And that, that's something that I really wanted to sort of explore and address in the novel. Absolutely. And I think there, I was also fascinated by the relationship to taboo. And I think mm. there are all these taboos sort of, some are, there's different levels of awareness as well. Like the American niece comes and brings these gifts of clothing that it basically, it seems like looks like lingerie to the people in the country. And they, and they have mixed feelings about it also. They're like, yes, we should be able to wear this and I don't want to condone it. But at the same time, I can't really wear this outside the house. And those kinds of conversations, I thought it was, it was really fascinating to look at the layers of, you know, the pig itself is a taboo and all of these things going on inside of the book that bring out conversations and relationships to the culture. What was really funny about the, the niece that comes from America in many, you know, my friends say, Oh, that's you. Well, first off, you, you called her Muna and you're Malu. So that's you, right? And I say, well, no, I'm not really like that. I don't really go to my relative's house and start talking about sex. That's like a kind of a millennial thing. You know, we, we all have, you know, in my family, like all the girls, when we go back to them, when all of us have gone to the Middle East for the first time, there are things that are really jarring and things that we don't accept. And in our own family, we say, well, we're not going to, you know, my cousins and I, well, we're not going to change the way we dress just to fit in anywhere. We, we're not going to do that. But Muna um, is the character that really comes in and she does have these questions about identity and gender. And she wants to know, and she's been doing her own kind of research into the, like, there's a, there's a critique of Arab cussing where, you know, a lot of the cussing, uh, it, it really is about the vagina. And why is that, you know? 
And I wanted to have that, I wanted that character from the new world to come in and not be on solid ground, to question everybody, to make the family have those conversations that they normally would not have. And uh, when the draft that Unnamed Press, the, the first draft that they really looked at, Olivia Smith, who's the editor and publisher there, she said to me, you know, I just really don't get this this, this uh, character, Muna, like, uh, you know, there's not enough about her. And I said, well, you know, when I was writing in the 1990s, people kept telling me that the whole story should be told through Muna's point of view. And I really felt that Muna was like the least interesting character for me because I'm more interested in the people, the family there. And when Olivia Smith said, well, maybe you should cut her out. And I said, well, if you cut her out, that means that you have the traditional view, but you don't have this inquiring new world mind. So that's what we need. We need to bring her in for that. And then Olivia said, okay, we need to know more about her. And I said, well, that's easy because I have all this writing about Mona that I took out of the novel because I was demoting her. I didn't want her to have the same um, level of consciousness as the other characters. I didn't want her to be as important as the other characters. And she said, and uh, Olivia Smith said, no, 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 put that back in. Let's, let's look at it again. And so Muna kind of in the later stages of the book, she really entered into her own, but not so much that she overpowers because the real story is about Hussein. Uh, the two characters in conflict is really Hussein, the erstwhile patriarch of Mother of All Pigs of the family, and his stepsister, Samira, who has quit teacher's training school, who's fallen into company with these Syrian women activists, and who's getting ready to do something. We just don't know what it is yet. So something that you just said, so you were working on the book all the way back in the 1990s, and now it's coming out. So how has the trajectory been? Like, how did you start the project then? And then what made you decide it was time to publish it now? Well, I'll tell you, I worked for it for, I worked on it for four years in the 1990s. And um, there was an agent that was interested, but he couldn't place it. And one of the reasons he couldn't place it is because I think there was one Arab American novel out by um, Diane Abu Jabber, I think it was called Arabian Jazz. And that was it. There was not a lot of, well, I think there was some uh, Arab fiction in translation, but maybe Nagib Mahfouz. Not very much. And you really had to look on, look for it because um, in the 1990s, I did my own survey of Arab Arab literature. I was very curious what's available who's writing. And also I was looking at uh, Lebanese women writers who are writing during the Civil War. There was a real movement of women writers coming out of the Lebanese Civil War. So there wasn't a whole lot available. And periodically, uh, you know, I've done many books. So in between my book projects, I would go back to the novel. I was wondering about that myself. Like, why was it so important for me to do the novel? I mean, you know, I I have books. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm writing pretty regularly. I mean, why was I working on something that I didn't even know would get published? But I think it has something to do with my generation of writers that we kind of feel that the novel is an art form, that, that there's something in my generation of writers that believes that you're not really a writer until you write your novel, which is wrong. That's, it's, that's an incorrect perception, but I do, I see it in, in many of my contemporaries that I went to college with who are writing. Like we all kind of go back to the novel. But also what I've learned from that time is that, you know, I, 
there, there would be years in between that I would go back to the novel. There would be many months in between that I wouldn't go back to the novel. That space, that time that I took off from the novel meant that I went back with fresh eyes. Mm. And I think that the, I think it's a, like, okay, I, when we were, you know, finishing the edit and the copy edit, you know, I, I, I read the novel. The last time I read the novel was a couple of months ago. And it surprised me how dense it is and how much stuff is in there. I mean, I was surprised. And I thought, ah, this is because of the way that it was written, that parts of it were written at different times and parts of it was, uh, parts of it, uh, were changed at different times. So there's a kind of layering effect. I think that there's a density to it. There's a lot that goes on. And I think that's because of the way that it was written. I think that if I sat down, you know, my friend Daryl Pinkney, sat down and he wrote Black Deutschland over several months. And that's all he did. I think that if I was writing Mother of All Pigs over several months or, you know, a year and a half, it would have been a very different novel than what it is now. And I think the time helped it. And I've been meeting a lot of younger writers who are freaked out or they sound freaked out when they talk about that, that they you know, they have to work. It's hard being a writer now as a young writer. You really have to work to be able to support yourself writing fiction. And writing fiction and nonfiction maybe isn't going to support you for a while. So they, they're very upset that they, they don't have their whole life or, or all their time to devote to it. And I say to them, no, 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 don't look at this as something that's wrong or you have to get over Look at it as a as a uh, a boon, something good that you take that time out. You think about other things. You come back to it with fresh eyes. You see what's missing. You add that. You leave it alone. You come back to it. And also, what Daryl Pinkney has told me, you know, it's true. Nothing is ever lost. You can put it in a drawer, but you know it will come out again. So enjoy the time that you have with your fiction. Um, and enjoy the time that you're away from your fiction because something will happen to it too when you go back to it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a process. It's not a race. And I think that's the thing that I, I want to say to younger writers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, there's all this tension of youth in writing is so celebrated, like 40 writers under 40 and, you know, ones who have done all this kind of stuff. And yet no. at the same time, I think it would be very difficult to get the level of insight, you know, before a certain point in your life as a writer. Well, yes and no. But you think of Salinger and he was writing young and there's something to be said about the young writing. I think that's quite, I'm kind of excited for them. Mm -hmm. There's a time now where fiction, nonfiction, some of those boundaries are being blurred and also I think it's interesting when people do find their voices, when they finally identify what it is they're about, what it is they really want to write about. I think it's a quite a marvelous process. And um, I tell them, I say, oh, don't be like me. You know, get to it, you know, like do that first draft, get to those five drafts, get to that eighth draft, you know, don't be scared of it and allow yourself to really grow in the writing you know, for a long time, I wrote Mother of All Pigs, and I never thought it would be published, mainly because my experiences with publishers have shown me that 
you know, my books get published because I have, you know, the, those books about the Middle East, those nonfiction books, I had a lot of uh, monetary support, you know. If people weren't interested, uh, publishers weren't interested, I'd say, well, you know, the Print Files Fund has given us this grant and we're going to spend it. And then people would come on board and then surprise, surprise, the book would sell. And then they would say, oh, this kind of book does have an audience. I think for a long time, foreign fiction, because I'm considered foreign fiction, I'm considered foreign fiction. And, uh, you know, the book, uh, was picked up in America and Canada. It's been picked up. It will be published in Arabic and Egypt and in, in French in France. Amazing. But, I mean, it hasn't been picked up in the UK. And uh, we're in a very particular time in the UK with Brexit now. Right. So everyone's really nervous. So, but the, the sort of fiction or, the, or, or what I'm doing, I've never really thought that was at, in the mainstream of the literary establishment of the UK anyway. So I'm out on a limb already. I mean, I'll tell you, Caroline, something that really like, I, I'll be honest, I, I, this will yes. sound kind of crazy, but I'll just tell you this. You know, I was in um, McNally Jackson, which is a really hip bookstore. And so I love that bookstore. <laughs> really hip, right? Unnamed sent me there. Um, uh, Olivia Smith said, you know, we have a friend there. Go, go say hi. So, you know, I get on my bike. It's like really freezing. I go there. And um, I think the young man, Douglas Singleton, comes out of the basement. And he said, oh, we're going to find your book. It's here somewhere. Let's, let's go find it. And he takes me into the back. And under American literature, in the H section, my book, Mother of All Pigs, is American literature. I nearly, I'm, I'm sorry, I nearly broke down. I was like so, so shocked and, and so happy. And, and I said, it's an American literature. And I thanked him profusely and he looked at me kind of oddly. He looked at me and he goes, why are you thanking me? You wrote the book. Right. I was, I was so thrilled that I, that Mother of All Pigs is considered American. I mean, I am American. I'm, I'm Jordanian, Filipino, American. But because for so long I've lived in Britain where the work I do is definitely acknowledged on many levels and written about and, and celebrated, but mother of all pigs, it's American literature. And I thought, wow. <laughs> you know? And I mean, that was my big thing in New York. I nearly had a meltdown in, in McNally Jackson. I was so happy. That's amazing. And I think it, I think it brings up such an interesting point about writing is, is I think that many writers, and I think it's true of any creative profession, but I talk to writers more than any other creative professionals is this sense of like, where do we belong? And, and the tension, like you were talking earlier about until you write a novel, you know, not feeling like you're a real writer, no matter how many nonfiction books or articles or anything else you've published and where do things get shelved and yeah. where do things fit? Like, where does my work fit is, is a question that I think writers have to end up thinking about a lot. I think that I've been asking that question since I was 13 when I was reading Hemingway and Fitzgerald and, and Carson McCullers and, you know, all the great literature, American literature that we're taught and we've looked at, you know, I was wondering, well, where's my family? We're American too, right? And so where's the literature that reflects my experience? And that is one thing that I really wanted to do in Mother of All Pigs is that I wanted to reflect my experience. 
I wanted to reflect my family background because we're part of the American dream, right? And we're part of, we're part of the dream. And, and it seems like at times, depending on who's talking, the nightmare, but you know, we're, we are part of that. And that's something that's always propelled me since I was young and I knew that I wanted to write is that where's my, how do I fit into all of this? And I think we're coming into a really interesting time now where there are these independent publishers that they want this experience. They want experience from around the world. They don't just think that fiction readers are from a certain class or a certain age group or a certain ethnic background, that stories, again, belong to all of us, not just a certain portion of the population. I think that's really exciting. And and because it's happened for me in a way, I think that, oh, I'm like one of the hardest. So it really has opened up, you know? Yes. I mean, this is this is something that I feel so strongly about and I think is so important is that I think it's very easy for people to feel when they're writing a book, like you said, it's like, I don't even know if this is going to get published. Like, why does my story matter? And I think it's amazing that you looked at the sort of lack of mirroring in the literary canon and said, well, where's my story? And we're inspired to write it. I, I worry that there are so many people out there not seeing their own story and thinking that it's evidence that nobody wants to hear it. No. And, and that's why I'm trying to tell the young, the, the younger writers that I meet is like, just trust, trust yourself and, you know, write those stories, whatever those stories are, whatever, wherever, wherever that experience comes from, because eventually one of those stories is going to claim you and then you will write your big book or you will have your, your big epiphany or your big article. Like just, just realize that those stories, those stories that you're thinking about now, one of them is you're not going to be able to let it go because it won't let you go. I mean, I could tell like in one, one of the times that I was really deeply writing the novels from, for a month on end, one time in particular, I had two dreams and that Hussein came to me in a dream and Samira came to me in a dream. And I knew that, that, that these characters were operating on a level inside my unconscious, that they had made their home there and that it was fine, that they were going to, that they were going to lead me to, that I had lived with them long enough, that they were showing me, they, they were sort of telling me what they wanted to do. And, it was for me to open myself up to that process, to that creative engagement, and to allow my imagination to be free and not think that I have to write it one way so that it will be picked up. No, to write it for myself. You know, I'm writing for myself. And those people that read it and get it, they get it kind of immediately. And those people that don't get it, well, maybe they'll get it some other time. And, and maybe not. Maybe Mother of All Pigs is not going to do it for them. Maybe they need to know something else about the region that they're looking for. But all that's fine is to allow, is, I think trust is a big thing. It's really important to do. And also, you can even say to yourself, maybe I don't know enough. And I have to do this research. And I have to live with this research. And I have to talk to people. That's good, too. I think that writing is a very solitary uh, endeavor, but it's not really that solitary because it's about society. And 
I think it's that those ties between the creative individual and society at large. That's what also gives work impetus and meaning and um, all those things that you want the work to have. But, you know, I don't really talk like this. People talk kind of like, <laughs> you know, saying all this stuff. I mean, it's so I'm hard. Just... I mean, I think it's something I think it's a conversation to me that's so important. And it isn't something that we've talked about up to this point at large, like, there's just this sort of, oh, these are books and these books are published and, and whose story do we get to hear? And, and I'm wondering, like, how do you get people to the point where they're willing to share their story, where they're willing to, they feel safe enough to put it out there, knowing that somebody will want to read it? You know, they say it, it was, a, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yeah. I almost think it takes a village to have a novel published, you know? I think it must have been in, Two things happened, I think, around 2010 or no, like 2011, 2012 is that the Syrian conflict, uh, the uprising happened. But also I was working that I had an excerpt from the novel about the pig um, artificial insemination. That section in the novel was published uh, in the International Pen magazine. And a friend gave that excerpt to a big editor at the, oh, Rebecca Carter, huge editor at Random House, come, came out of Harville Secker. And Rebecca just started reading my material and meeting with me and talking to me about it. And it took probably two years for her to show me how to cut into the material. She said that what I'd given her, she really loved the writing. Um, but she taught me in our, in our conversations and, 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 um, you know, we wouldn't meet all the time, but she taught me about, you know, what readers expect and about dramatic chronology. And I think that really helped. And then when I was finally finished, I finished writing, um, on a canal boat, a, a narrow boat, uh, my friend's narrow boat. We were bringing the boat down from Nottingham and I finished. I was reading a Julian Barnes novel that really helped me mm. because Julian Barnes had this novel, I think it was uh, Gilbert and George. Wait, hold on. Should, Arthur and George. Yep. And um, it was two points of view. And then suddenly in the middle of the book, it wasn't two points of view. He did exactly what he wanted. And I thought, oh, I'm going to break it up like that too. I can do this. Like I thought, oh, you had to do it one way. No, there are many ways to skin a cat. And um, and then it was the process, again, of finding an agent that was difficult because it's foreign fiction. No one was interested where I, in the country where I lived. So I was able to find an international agency, the, 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 um, the Pontas Agency, Barcelona. They have a real interest in – they have a real interest in not just foreign fiction because they don't think of it as foreign fiction – they think of it as fiction of the world. Hmm. So we're not on the outside. Actually, we're on the inside. We're, we're part of the discussion. We're not like some extraneous people on the outside, you know? And that really, that, that started everything moving along. And then when, when the book was actually picked up by Unnamed, I didn't really believe it. I'll be honest. I said, nah, I don't know why they're doing this. This isn't going to happen. But they were serious. And working with professional editors and copy editors, you know, usually I edit all my books. I'm the editor. I'm wow. the one that's working with the copy editor. This time, my material was taken over by other people. And they, they looked at it. And they did the edit. And I thought, 
wow, this is so interesting to me. So, so each step of the way was like a, um, it was a surprise. Step has been a surprise. I don't know. Does that that probably makes me sound very kind of um, like a like an innocent, like a, a weird innocent, you know, an innocent person. You know, I just like meander through the world. But each step was a surprise to me. I think it can feel that way. I mean, it's like as you work on this thing, even as you're hoping that it will be published, you know, when it actually does, I think there's also this instinct in some ways when good things happen to be like, is this for real? You know, is there going to be a catch? What's going to happen here? Yeah. What's going to happen here? I don't know. We're, we're this, this whole, I am on totally new ground. I'll tell you nonfiction. I know what's going to happen. I can kind of predict that. Uh, fiction. I have no idea. I'm, uh, each, each event that I do on this book tour, each lecture I'm giving, each pr- presentation, it's surprising to me. So I, I walk around with like a, an astonished look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, has it left you wanting to write more? Or have you felt like this is the novel I wanted to write and I'm, I'm satisfied with that experience? Or does it feel like it's opened a door where you want to see what else might happen? Well, there were in the 19, early 1990s, I really identified, uh, three or four stories that I thought that I would want to do for novel length. And, um, I haven't started those, but, um, I have started some fiction that I'm working on. And, um, I'm not going to go back to the nonfiction books, although people are very keen to have a Serious Speaks volume two. And, um, see, when I started doing those nonfiction books, there were like two women who I were, I was watching in London that were working in, in Arab, in Middle Eastern arts and culture. One was a curator, one was a publisher. And that was it. Just these two women. And I thought, oh, I like the way they approach the region. And also at the Prince Gals Fund, I worked under this incredible art historian. And I liked the way that she was approaching culture from around the world. And I thought, oh, yeah, like I can. Oh, sorry about that. I'm, I'm in Midtown. so that's <laughs> I think it's the Lincoln Tunnel, to be honest with you. It's atmosphere. Um, but, uh, yeah, the atmosphere. But so now... When I'm asked to address, like there's a conference, a yearly conference in London called Arab uh, Women Artists Now, I meet a whole generation of young women that want to produce books like my books, or they want to do films, or they're artists. And I realize that within my, within, since, uh, since the 1990s, since the late 1990s, there's been a whole, like, I've been doing this and I thought I was the only one. And there were only a handful of people like me. But now there's a generation of people who are like me. So I sort of feel like the field's open. Come on in. You don't need me to do nonfiction because you are the young editors that will be doing this nonfiction. And you'll be doing these new books. For me, it's time for me to write fiction. If this is really what I wanted to do so long, I should get down to doing it. Well, I hope you do. I mean, that's very exciting. And and to feel this sort of permission, like, okay, these other people are going to handle this side of it. And to watch the interest and the opportunity in that area open up is so exciting. And I think we can only benefit from more and more stories from that part of the world. One of the things that's happening now, which I find really fascinating, 
is that there's new writing from the margins. There's queer writing coming out. There's, um, there's dystopian science fiction coming out of the region. So I kind of feel that even though my, you know, my age <laughs> sort of takes me out of it, but I am part of this new wave of literature that's coming out of the Middle East. And it's lively literature and it's very contemporary. And it deals with the subjects that are being dealt with now in the West in terms of gender and identity, and also what kind of societies we want to live in. Do we really want to live in a society that's very violent or violence is, is nearby, war is nearby? Like what kind of, what kind of world are we really envisioning? And so I feel like I'm in really good company, um, with these other writers that are, are, are gaining, are, are getting into translation. Absolutely. Well, I think, I don't know. I hope. I hope we get to talk to you about your next book when it comes out and that, you know, there's more stories coming and that there's nothing more exciting than seeing new fields start to exist and watching the field of literature change. I find that incredibly inspiring to just sort of watch it unfold. Me too. And that it's happening in America really warms the cockles of my heart. That's what I find very interesting is that America in many respects, America is wide open. So that's good for all of us, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for talking about the book and about your writing career and all of this. I think, I think everyone will take a lot away from this conversation. And Caroline, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.